So these two gentlemen, I, I met them in searching for brain lights. Our brain light technology was actually designed out of their research. They didn't know it at the time, but I called them up. I, I found their research online. I found out where they were at. I gave them a call and I said, hey, I'm going to copy your research because, you know, no sense inventing something if somebody's already done it. And I said, you know what, what are you selling? What, what's, the, what's the product you research? And they said, we don't have any product. We just built it in the lab. And I said, well, I'm going to build it because you already have all the science behind it, the science that works. So we built the technology that they researched in their lab. And then I went down and visited them in, uh, they now living in or, uh, Orlando. Um, Dr. Uh, Sidral, and he's involved also in, if, how many people like Tom Brady in the room? Come on, man, he's a Michigan man. <laughs> Tom, Tom Brady, TB12, which is a, a sports line, he was very integral in, in creating and researching how that product works. Your body actually reflects infrared, and you can you wear clothing that reflects your own healing infrared back at you. Most of you probably don't know this, but you're all photobiomodulators. You're sending your energy out to the world and the energy is coming back to you all the time. Science is proving that. It's not just Jesus and Buddha and all the other saints that have their halos around them. Each of you have energy fields around you. So they've created some, some technology. That's not exactly why they're talking today, but there's a lot we're gonna be doing with these two guys because they're doing a lot of research down at the school in Brazil and they're testing out BrainTap down there. They're changing over the technology so it's done in Portuguese and other languages. So I want to invite the two docs up to, to share with us today what they have going. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, uh, Porter, for the introduction. Kind introduction. I mean, I could, you know, spend the whole the whole morning talking about the, the relationship now that we developed, and how we like these guys, the Porters and Cynthia, and and well, we haven't met the other partner yet, but we're going to, I guess, momentarily. And, and for us, it's a great pleasure to be here together with you. Hello, hello, everybody. Good morning. I would like to thank you, Dr. Porter, to invite us to share with you our experience. I, I'm here since first uh, October in the uh, United States, but uh, I need to improve my English. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to speak you in Portuguese and Dr. Francisco can translate you, okay? Does anybody here speak Portuguese? No? No? Brazilian Portuguese is a little bit different than the, the, Ameri the uh, Portuguese from Portugal. Uh, yeah, to the bay. <laughs> right. So uh, we, we're supposed to talk about the photobiomodulation of the brain. But remember to ask to, to, to talk a little bit about the research that we're doing with the BrainTap at the University of Brazil. Let's, let's first introduce ourselves and tell us tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do and the research overall. So uh, my, my background is integrative medicine and then I have a, a master's and a PhD in, uh, in neuroscience. So I'm a, neuro, a neuroscientist. My, my research is based on uh, mostly low-level light therapy for the treatment of, uh, of pain and inflammation specialist in neurobiology of pain and inflammation. That's how I started. And, uh, and Dr. Afonso, maybe you wanna? So he, 
Dr. Fonzo is a physical therapist and, uh, and also a nutritionist. It's a kind of a different program that we have in Brazil. For a nutritionist, you have to go through a four and a half year specialization program and then you become a nutritionist. So he's both and he's ha he has his master's and PhD in biomedical engineering. That's why we built the low level light therapy devices. And we actually haven't met uh, so many years ago, but we did, we've been doing research together for a long time through the different institutions and the labs that we, we work at uh, in Brazil. And, and, and Dr. Afonso is, is the, the founder and the owner of the Salgado Institute in Brazil. It's a school uh, for post-graduation, uh, mainly post-graduation programs for healthcare uh, professionals. Most of them, I would say probably 80% would be physical therapists. And in and, and Brazil, chiropractors are still very limited in, 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 in Brazil, there's maybe, I think, two or three university yeah, tops. And, and so I don't know the numbers, but there are a lot more physical therapists in the country. About 300,000 physical therapists in Brazil. And also, I, I guess that's be, because we don't have PTA, PTAs, so the physical therapists have to do everything, then we even have more. <laughs> so, and about 500,000 nutritionists in the country. So Brazil is, is pretty big for healthcare professionals, and uh, and the institute has trained over the past 25 years about uh, 50,000 students, and then there is also there is also now the idea of bringing the institute to the United States. We just recently moved to to, to Orlando, and we're starting. Probably we're going to have some people here that are going to teach courses together with us. I hope. <laughs> And so the institute is also in Portugal for the past uh, 15 years. Portuguese-speaking countries, Brazil, Portugal, and now you know we're translating everything to English and introducing the courses here. Dr. Porter is, is helping us, and he's going to start teaching courses together with us on the at the at the institute here in the U.S. And we also do, uh, of course, a lot of research and product validation. The product that uh, that Porter was talking about was was the Under Armour sleepwear recovery, uh, recovery sleepwear launched by Tom Brady. So though we did all the validation, all the research, and actually came up with the original formulations for them to use. So we do that as well. Uh, and apart from research and development, we also have a line of products. And actually not very active on that one. I have to confess, we founded that company, The Natural Quantity, just to, to bring Afonso to the US. So we could hire him and he could get, get his visa. <laughs> It worked. He's here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, so this is more or less. Before we talk about the effects on uh, of of uh, low-level light therapy on the brain, then let's talk a little bit about the research that we're currently doing at the university uh, with the with the BrainTap headset. So, at at first, I mean, it was a, an interesting introduction that we had, and we wanted to test out the the. The, the product first, so we tested it on ourselves. Results were very interesting. And then before we developed a full-blown clinical trial with the, with the dozens of patients, we have to do a pilot test. So something smaller first, and also because you know the ethics committees at the university and everything else, they have to, so you do step by step. So the first thing that we decided to do is look at uh, mostly questionnaires on sleep and mood. So we used uh, internationally validated questionnaires for those two things and then we ran, a, we ran a, a clinical trial with university employees and you can imagine that those people that work on telemarketing or at the university are stressed all the time. So that's what we did. And 
This test was actually conducted by one of our associates who is the head of the, of the lab of uh, experimental neuroscience at the a university in Florianopolis. If you don't know Brazil, Florianopolis is in the south of the country. I should have some pictures of Florianopolis here. It's an island, it's got 32 beaches, sand dunes, it's a paradise. You have to come down and, and meet us at the university and see the research that we're doing. So this is the university there. Dr. Danielle is also a physical therapist and a, a neuroscientist. And we actually did our master's and the PhD together. So we were, we were colleagues from, well, I'm not gonna say how long, but anyways. And, and that's, that's the, the, the university in Brazil where we're conducting the tests right now. One of them we have associations with four or five different institutions in the country and in Portugal, France, and, 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 and the institute alone has 32 professors that work together with us. So we could do, a, we have a lot of manpower to do research. Anyways, and that, that, that university has been around for 60 something years and right now they have uh, about uh, 250,000 students. Uh, MDs, PTs, uh, chiropractor, they don't have it yet there. Nutrition, yeah, anyways. So that's the lab. So, so this one, what we did is we, then I have to read because I don't remember by heart, but uh, we looked at, uh, at a population of from, from 20 to 58 years of age. And remember, this is a pilot study, so we just did it with seven people at first and to see the results. If there is something there, then it justifies that we do a larger trial. And this is what's gonna happen now. So the evaluations you used that validated the questionnaires for, for mood and for sleep. And, and then we did just, that was a quick one, like three sessions for two weeks. That's not a lot. Let me show, show you the results. So the first one is the depression, anxiety, stress scale, internationally used. And this is a, a scale that is divided in three different categories. You look at anxiety, uh, stress, and depression. And there are seven items for each one of those. And then the higher the score, the greater the impairment. Uh, in the case. So we looked at uh, the results and then you see there people are not really anxious which surprised me a little bit you know given the circumstances but they they, they had a significant amount of stress and also some people complaining from the depression and then after the two weeks with the brain tap that's it two weeks three sessions a week then we have a reduction I mean, uh, you know, the research is all about statistics. So, unfortunately, these, this, the, this, this means not statistically significant, but because we have a, a bigger error, so and we only have seven individuals, you know. But the indication that the scores are very reduced like this, maybe this is almost half of what it was before. This is very promising for research. There is something there. Now you increase the, the sample size and you, and you test it with maybe 30, 40, 50 people, depending on the power. Now you can calculate the power that you need. You look at this and then you, you see the, the, the results that you have and then you put it in a formula and then you calculate the sample size that you need so that you have the statistic power to do the analysis and, and to get the results that you think you're gonna have. So you need this anyways to, for the statistics. So anyways, that was very surprising for me and for him as well, seven people. That's very small, but anyways. Then, then we did the uh, insomnia severity index. Then, you, then there are different scales here that you can see. And the results that we got, 
again, look, there are like there are like borderline uh, having uh, insomnia. They're not insomniacs. So probably I was wondering if we have people that do suffer some insomnia, then probably we're going to have better results. You know, but even with the people that are considered like regular level, this is probably most of us here would fall into this, almost like a reduction of 50%. Very good. And then the next one, it was the another uh, sleepiness scale. This, this represents like your tendency to fall asleep during the day. You know, I hope that doesn't happen during our talk. <laughs> but, but anyways, that may, that may happen. And, and, then, and then you have specific, uh, uh, you know, a score for that. And that was a smaller reduction, but still a reduction, you know. And then the next one is uh, very famous. And, and that, that's a very strict kind of test. So generally, when you conduct tests with the Pittsburgh Collier Sleep Index, the, the thing really has to work so that we see significant differences in this one. And this, is, this was one of the tests that we used together with Dr. Von McCall at the uh, uh, Augusta Medical Center. He's a specialist, number, probably number five in the whole world on sleep. And we did all the studies with the, with the sleepwear together with him. So we used the same, the same questionnaire. And this is interesting because it has like zero to zero, from zero to five, good quality of sleep, five to 10, poor. And then over 10, you know, you have a sleep disorder. And then these people, they were about uh, seven. So poor quality of sleep. And then after three sessions a, a week for two weeks, they dropped to less than four. It was almost four, but less than four. So that means good quality of sleep. And this is statistically significant. And this is very impressive for me. So good news. We're going to conduct now a much larger study because of the results that we got with this in the first round, especially because we have statistically significant data with you know, so many, a sample size that small, but anyways. So this is what we're gonna do. I mean, let, let me talk to you about the conclusion first. So the sessions here, they uh, reduce stress and depression scale scores, although the data is not statistically significant, but it reduced. And also the insomnia severity index and daytime sleepiness, but this was the biggest, the biggest one, which is the Pittsburgh Quality of Sleep Index, was statistically significant and improved sleep in those people that work at the university. Just, just three sessions uh, a week for two weeks. So in this one, we're gonna do the same type of questionnaires, but we're also gonna look at uh, some very important markers in the patient's blood. And then we're gonna draw blood and we're gonna look at, uh, we think that there is a relationship between uh, stress and uh, oxidative stress in your body, right? There is a relationship with, uh, with uh, uh, aging, and then there is a relationship with uh, inflammation. So the more stressed you are, and then you have all the things that everybody's been talking about, you know, this, this Congress and the seminar is going to continue to, but then you can see those effects in your blood, actually, and you see the markers. So you draw, you draw blood from the patients, and then you look at those, uh, at those markers, and then this is the next step. That's what we're gonna do, evaluate. Another question that we have is, is the effect of the brain tap just, just the brain entrainment waves and the audio? Is it, is it uh, the, the fact that you sit down and you relax? Is it because of the, the great uh, guided visualization that Porter puts into those tapes? I mean, so then we're gonna separate those 
and then we're going to test just relaxation, sitting down. Another group is going to be just the guided visualizations. The other group is going to be just the brain entrainment, and the other one is going to be a combination. You know, then like yesterday when they were talking about uh, the effect of the audio sessions on the phone alone, and then an upgrade would be to use the headset. I think now when we conclude this, then you're going to have ammunition to say. If you just use the, the app, or if you use the combination, then maybe there's going to be different results. And if you have the research to back that up, that's very interesting. The, the first one that we did, we actually separated, Porter told us, this is what we generally do with people. We use these six introductory sessions, and then he gave us a list. And he said, you, you play one during the first week, the second one during the second week, and then I, can, I could tell you exactly which ones that we used, but we didn't use a specific one. And we actually, and this is also interesting, we're not using a session that was specifically to help sleep. No. It was overall. So imagine the people were not insomniacs. If they were, probably the results were going to be better. And we're not using a session specifically to treat that. You know? And it was only for two weeks. And the sample size was small. And even then, we had pretty good results. So, I mean, that convinced us that it's worth investigating further, right? <laughs> Anyways, so that's it. Uh, and then we also, apart from the questionnaires, we're going to use actigraphy. So it's a little watch that uh, follows you during your sleep. And then it tells me, how, you, how was your sleep? Did you sleep well? Did you, how many times did you wake up? And, you know, and, 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 and if you turn to one side to the other, whatever, there are a lot of different parameters that you can see. And that gives us very interesting results. And, and we, we could say for sure you know, if it improves the sleep or not. And then, as I was saying, the blood markers, then we have it. We have oxidative stress. We have T-bars. Uh, it's a measure of uh, oxidative stress and the effects upon your, uh, your uh, fatty acids, and the other one is, is on the, the proteins, the MDA equivalent. And then we are going to look at the, the, how your, your body responds because it has a mechanism on producing these two specific types of enzymes, this, the superoxide dismethase and catalase, to, to the, those are antioxidative defenses. So we're going to look at the damage and also how your de body defenses are reacting. Maybe they're increasing. And we saw that with the low-level light therapy that we have an increase in, in superoxide dismethase. But anyways, and also we're going to look at BDNF. That's brain-derived neurotrophic factor that has to do with uh, your nutrition of your brain, how your brain regenerates. So probably, you know, we're, that would be very interesting too, to see if there is any changes in there and cortisol. Yeah, Brazil is second, second place in the world in occupational stress. I think we're going to lose to the U.S. <laughs> so we already have uh, contacted a, a, a group of different companies in, in Brazil. We haven't even told Porter that, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we have already like corporate health. This is this is the next big thing, you know. And this is very good to be used in corporate health, I think, you know. And and so we're contacted some some very big companies, and we want to do some research together with them, with their employees, you know. And corporate health is going to be the next big thing, I think. Apesar de ser precoce, 
Yeah, we also have uh, very good results on, on mood disorders or emotional results with the patients because apart from the, the, the studies that we do at the university, we, well, I mean, there are clinics in Brazil, the institute owns clinics, and then we see patients and we're using the, 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 the devices with the patients. Actually, this next study here was conducted at, at, the, at the, the clinic or at the institute, but we're seeing the results with the patients and we're documenting. You know, even though it's not like a, a, a real double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled study, which is the next, the next one is going to be, but we're, we're accumulating this evidence as well. So very good results with the, with the patients. Yeah, it, so he was talking about this one here now. That, that, that is the variability cardiac. So this is, this is the result. That, so we got the telemarketers of the, of the institute in Brazil. And we got one of our, the, the head of the research of the institute and then the people that work on the phone you know, the whole day. And then we decided to, to take a look at the heart rate variability. So I was going to go over the details of our heart rate variability, you know, say that there are more than 16,000 publications on heart rate variability. So the thing is very well accepted by the medical community. And, and, but anyways, and, but I think we don't have enough time to go over everything. Otherwise, I might not even have time to talk about the next one. But anyways, <laughs> but uh, a lot of publications out there and I guess most of you already know of the importance of heart rate variability, how you measure it, and the importance of the autonomic nervous system. You know, maybe this is the topic of another conversation. And let me go there. Skip this one as well. So bottom line, evaluates the state of your autonomic nervous system. And then here we say what that is. Here's the, the parasympathetic, and if you send me an email later on, then I can send you the, the presentations. Uh, and we're actually preparing a whole, a whole course, we already have that in Portuguese, <laughs> but we're preparing a whole course to introduce into the, the system here. We're going to teach that together with Porter, and on the use of uh, heart rate variability and everything. So. And I guess you know that there are a lot of different parameters with heart rate variability. There is one that is called, in the time uh, in the frequency domain, it's called the high frequency, and that one relates to the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system. And then you also have the uh, low frequency that uh, is mostly related to the sympathetic, but a little bit of the parasympathetic is involved. And then there is a ratio that you can do that evaluates the overall function of the heart rate. Uh, variability and the, the functioning of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and a, a whole lot of other parameters that we're not going to go over this now so what we did is again we only looked at eight individuals and we were talking about telemarketers of the of the Institute and the evaluation was heart rate variability for this one here we did three sessions a, a week for six weeks and here are the results that we got We looked at the LF band that has to do with uh, with uh, with low frequency is related to the sympathetic 
activity, but not only. Sympathetic activity has a little bit of participation of the parasympathetic. And then the results you can see here, before and after. So there is kind of a mixed uh, information. Uh, one, there was, one, there was uh, an increase a little bit, and the other one a decrease. Remember that this one does not evaluate only sympathetic, but also parasympathetic. So the, the, the measures sometimes are mixed. And, and then we looked at the, the high frequency band, and that one reflects the parasympathetic activity. And then you see the results here. There was an increase, very significant increase actually, only, only, only uh, eight people, but you already have st statistical data, you know. And also in the two different parameters of high frequency, we saw an increase, an increase of parasympathetic activity and, and here as well. And, and then we looked at uh, a standard deviation of the RR intervals, and this is also an indicative of uh, parasympathetic activity. And then we saw again an increase so increased parasympathetic activity in two different parameters so far and and the last one same thing before and after again an increase and so the results that we got with this and this is the ratio remember the ratio it's it's very it would be very interesting if it were closer to one because then indicates a balance right one in relation to the other one and then before before what we had was about 1.9 before, and then after the evaluations, almost one. And again, the data is very much uh, statistically significant, everything. And we're just talking about eight individuals. So with that information, now we can calculate the statistics that we need and how many actual individuals so that we can have a, a more robust uh, study with uh, um, a larger number of people, but we already have statistically significant data with this smaller sample size. But anyways. So conclusion, brain tap influenced uh, positively the, the, the heart rate variability and we could see that there was an increase in the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system and an overall better balance in between the two. After Six weeks, three sections, three, three sessions a week. So that was supposed to be just the first part of the presentation. <laughs> yeah, imagine that, but anyways. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I have another hour. We have another hour on Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah on Sunday. I'm not sure if you're all gonna be here anyways. But, uh, <clears throat> so I had a challenge for you actually. How many, how many, I saw before, I mean, how many people of you already use the brain tap with your, with your clients? A lot of people. You do, you do evaluations before, and then you do evaluations afterwards, don't you? Or no? You do. You have those, re you have those registered, some of those evaluations. How many of you use other therapies combined with the brain tap? Most of you, but some, with some patients, you only use brain tap? Or no? Some people do. I mean, we're wasting this data. We should put together like a website that is going to gather that information, you know, from everybody. And like this person, and I have one case, I have another case, because how, how, do, you build, how do you build scientific knowledge? The first step is you test it on your mother, on your, on your, your father, your grandmother, whatever, right? On yourself. That's how you do first. And then you see, well, it works for me, it's good. And then, and then you start 
looking at other people that can influence the field, like doctors, MDs, whatever, PTs, and then they start talking about it. This is happening, you know, we're all talking about it, about the benefits of BrainTap. And then you, and then you do smaller trials, like the one we did, a pilot, and then you do a little bit bigger, like a, a trial. But before you go into bigger, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled type of trials, that, that's what we're gonna do now. And we're also gonna do it together with, uh, with uh, uh, our friend researcher in India that just presented, yeah, and make it a multi-center uh, study. We also need to gather information from the people that are there at the clinic practicing. So, so uh, you know, Porter, we have to come up with an, uh, a system that we can collect this information of people that are seeing the patients before the evaluations and then after the treatments. So that we can start putting together this information and maybe you can write a paper together. That would be very interesting, I think. Yeah, with questionnaires and we can implement easy things through Google Forms and, you know, let's put this, 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 this amount of people together and put the ads together and then start writing about it because, because right now it's not mainstream. For it to become mainstream, we have to do research and we have to do research by the terms that are out there, you know. So this is one, one very big step and a very interesting one. And, 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 and if we have enough, we can write a case report together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm have 30 minutes. Very good. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So that's the research. Let's organize the database. You know, I'm just giving you more work, Porter. But <laughs> sorry about that. Anyways. So this this is uh, our emails, but I'll, I'll show it again in the next. He says I I have another 30 minutes. Okay, that's good. So I'm going to, to give you a little bit of the, the other presentation that has to do with the actual research that we conducted together. And, and that, that is with the, the, the low-level light therapy for brain disorders. So in this one, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, what is low-level light therapy, what's in the name, because LLLT means a lot of different things depending on your base. Some people, some people say low, level laser therapy some people call it low level light therapy the correct would be low level light therapy because we're not talking i mean actually the actual research was not even conducted with laser devices we're conducted with light emitting diodes or, or leds and so the term now is, is bigger and this is these are are, are the basics of uh, of how uh, light works and then I, I guess we can concentrate on wavelength that is very important over here, and this is the wavelength, different wavelengths. So light is energy, and energy travels through <coughs> space and time, <laughs> and, and they, travel, they have different, uh, different characteristics, and depending on the, the distance from one wave to the other, then there are different penetration levels, there are different activities, there are different photoacceptors or molecules in your body that can interact with, with light. So, uh, wavelength is very important. Let me see here. Uh, so what is uh, photomodulation? Uh, I was talking about uh, how, how, how light interacts with your body and then you see that different wavelengths here, they are going to interact with different molecules in your body in different ways. 
you know, there are not, not in this list here, there are specific amino acids. The, the number one uh, uh, mechanism for low-level light therapy interactions with tissue is through the mitochondria. Inside of the mitochondria, there is there's the four different complexes in the respiratory chain. The fourth one is called pseudochrome C oxidase and is a photoacceptor. So it accepts the photons when you, when you shed light on your skin, penetrates the tissue, hits the mitochondria, and then dislocates the nitrogen. There is a burst of oxidative stress, and that is going to to very, very short one, but then it activates a lot of uh, intracellular pathways. One of them is NF-kappa-beta. Probably I'm speaking Greek to some people, but that, go, that goes inside of the cell nucleus and activates the DNA, and then expression of specific proteins. So you have measurable effect. This is all very well documented and that depends on the wavelength and also the amount of, of time that you that you give to the tissue which is the dose. So then you have different effects. So and, and depending on the on the amount of energy that you put you could have damaging effects. So if you're talking about like a, a high intensity laser it could damage the tissue, it could burn it. You know if you're talking about a very very low low uh, uh, those, then it doesn't do anything. Actually, the, the, there's, there's, there, you have to, to be sure. So when you go in, and some people say, oh, I didn't like uh, LEDs very much because it didn't have any results. What are the specifics? What is the irradiance? What is the wavelength? What is the dose that you used? For how long and everything else? If you don't know those parameters, it's like telling a person, uh, take an aspirin. And the other person takes just like a, a sixth of an aspirin or a quarter. They're not going to have the same results. With light, is the same thing. You have to look at the dose. You have to look at the parameters. And then the effects are going to appear or not because you gave the right dose. So that's very important in this kind of study. And again, talking about uh, wavelength and penetration, this is a very classic example. Depending on the wavelength, then it penetrates to a specific depth in the tissue. So that's why when you're in dermatology, you're always using blue. Because it stays on the skin, the effects are there. And then as you progress and you go into the near infrared spectrum, then you have better penetration and then you could, you could have more effects there. And then the differences, there are differences between, uh, of course, the doses that you give as well. And, and here is a very classical example. You see the green, it doesn't go to the other side, doesn't, it stays in the middle. And then the infrared has a much better penetration. This is very there is no way of saying that this doesn't happen when you look at the picture. <laughs> Anyways, and so here is the dose. And also, again, the, it's not only the penetration, but the specific dose. If you give half an aspirin, no effect. If you give too much, then probably you're going to have some problems because once the drug inter starts interacting with, uh, with uh, the, the cells, the receptors, and if it does, there's too much, like uh, what happens, for instance, when you develop uh, tolerance to, to morphine, you have uh, the, the receptors are no longer there because you have too much drug. So here you see the same thing. You have a, a, a dose that is too low, you don't see any results, and then you have a curve, and then over here, then you have pretty good results. And then if you start increasing the dose in it, then you have no results anymore. So there is a specific window. A lot of little details to low-level light therapy that you have to be aware of when you use it. You know, here is a study that we did, for instance, and we're looking at, uh, this is a model of, uh, this is a model of post-operative pain in mice, and then we, 
we induce the problem and then we treat with low level light therapy and then we, we use different doses. And then you see that this is the response frequency to a mechanical stimulation. So here we stimulate 10 times and then they respond maybe around nine. So that means that that's, that, that force that we apply to the paw is noxious, causes pain. And then we treat them with different doses of light. Of course, those are all different groups of animals, maybe uh, eight or 10 in each one of those groups. And then we treat them with a specific dose that is measured in, in joules. And, and then 30 minutes later, we evaluate again. And then you see here, here you have an effect. There is a reduction of more than 50% of pain. And this cannot be placebo because we're talking about mice. You know, I tried to educate the mice in the lab, they never listened. It's, it's horrible. That's why I decided to start working with people. Anyways, that's even worse. It's much, much worse. Because the mice, same sex, same age, same elimination, same, same food, same everything. You know, people, oh my gosh. And especially if you tell the patient, don't do this, they forget to don't, right? Anyways, so... And then, and then here, I'm just, you know, if you're curious, and then people, some people are very strong advocates of lasers, and some people like LEDs, and there is a whole discussion right now. The things are being consolidated now, and everybody's okay with everything, I guess. But they're different. Yes, they're different. You know, there are a lot of different characteristics, but uh, penetration is there. If you compare neck to neck, I'm going to use 830 nanometers uh, of, of a laser and the, do the radiance of the device is a 80 microwatts and, and the dose is going to be uh, 4 joules. You're going to have better effects with laser. But LEDs, you don't, you don't have one. You can have a whole bunch of them associated <laughs> together. So you have like a, a, an array and then you don't have one, one diode. You can have 45. Like the, 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 the device that we're developing together is going to have 45 with different wavelengths. So at the same time, you're using a lot more. So, you know, at the end, you have a higher dose. So anyways, they can be, they can be arranged in, uh, in, in devices like that. They're very inexpensive in comparison to lasers. They're very safe to use, you know, so solid state. Anyways, pain-free. No side effects. Well, laser only if you really increase the dose, then you can have problems. But if it's cold lasers, then it's it's excellent, right? It works pretty well. But anyways, and here are the mechanisms that we talked a little bit about before. And uh, <clears throat> again, I'm just gonna jump through this a little bit because I already mentioned there are some uh, specific molecules, some specific amino acids, some specific parts in your body. Water interacts a lot with low-level light therapy, uh, but the main one and the mitochondria, and then you have measurable effects. This is very well documented. You know, 30 more years of research is out there, and we like to, to think that we contributed a little bit to that as well, knowledge. The mechanisms are there, and finally we get to the study. And this study was published in the Lasers and uh, Medical Science. So before we went to the, to the clinical trial that was conducted and that was published at the, at the Journal of uh, Lasers and Medical Science, the first thing that he did was a preclinical trial looking at the effects of stimulating low-level light therapy in the brain of rats. I didn't bring you the, f the photos of the paper, but the, we have 
three or four publications already on this with mice first, and then we went to the clinical. So they, with, with rats, the model was a model, an experimental model of Alzheimer's. So there is an increase in beta amyloid protein, and then you can, you can measure that, and then you do the treatment and you see the reduction. And I will give you the link later on to the research and everything else is very interesting. And then the treatment with low-level eye therapy, there is a reduction in the protein indicating that. And we also, we also looked at effects uh, cognitives, Yeah, they, they also looked at cognition. There are specific models that you could do. There are models that you could test memory. There are models that we can test uh, learning. There is models you can test pain or whatever, you know. It, and, and, and then the ones that they looked at improved cog cognition in the sense of executing specific activities. So not only decreased the beta amyloid and, 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 and rats, but also improved, improved activity levels and, and tasks. And then that, that one is a clinical study and that they manufactured a helmet and, and this helmet was applied to, in this case, was elder, elderly women. Yeah, over 65 years of age. So they used a Doppler to, to, to look at the speed of uh, how the, 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 the blood in the brain, how is it flowing. And then there are four different parameters that were analyzed, the systolic and the, the anastolic uh, speed of the blood. And the vessels were also open, up, and more flexible. So everything, those are with the elderly women in the study. And so here are just the parameters that we talked about. And the, apart from those physical changes in the blood flow in the brain, there is also increase in... Uh, in uh, sleep disorders that the patients had, depression and memory. So be, because of this, this, this study, uh, this caught attention, caught, caught the eye of Dr. Hambling at uh, Harvard University. He's, he's the number one reference in uh, low-level light therapy for brain disorders in the world. So he invited us to write a chapter together with him on this new book and it's coming up now in, in April, yeah, because of the quality of the research. So. You know, the idea is maybe we could do something like that later on with brain tap, right? With the whole headset. Yeah. Yeah. There was another study that we just that we just uh, conducted as well, and that was just published. That is with low-level light therapy, transcranial, and then again we're using LEDs and the helmet, the same one that you saw there, and but that was with patients with concussion. And then the results are pretty similar. So I'm not going to, you know, talk about that one, but uh, we can show you the information later on. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is is on Sunday. Now that we had enough time to talk about this one, we're going to talk a little bit more about the details of dosage and everything else. And then we're we're going to look at uh, some of the protocols. How do we establish those protocols? And I think that the one that we prepared is about fibromyalgia. So how do you do evidence-based research and, and how you treat
fibromyalgia patients with low-level light therapy based on protocols that derived from scientific studies that were published. So, you know, and this is, this is the helmet and the, the studies is actually now with Dr. Poyani and he is uh, working together with Dr. Hambling at Harvard University and continues in the same line of the study that we started. So we're working together with them on that. And then, but if you look at the literature, there are so many different uh, effects of low-level light therapy, transcranial low-level light therapy for brain, you know, and, and these are just some of the publications. It's actually a review that we published uh, talking about the other publications out there in the market. So there is, there is a lot to, to be read about this. And, and for me and for him, this is how we met. I was studying low-level light therapy for musculoskeletal disorders and also preclinical models looking at the, the what happens when you shed light on your, on your skin, you know? And is it really the mitochondria? So we would block that. We block the, 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 the complexes or, or you look at the increased activity of the complex when you apply light. And then we say, yeah, that's it. And then you go blocking. And we say, is there any involvement of the opioid receptors? So you pharmacologically block the, we use an antagonist of the receptors and then you block the activity of the receptor and then you, sh and then you use light. And then mm, now the result is not the same. And then, well, but, but there is a very no, well-known association between the opioid receptors, the adenosine receptors, and also the cannabinoid receptors. So we block all of them individually, not only peripherally, but also in the central nervous system. And then, you, and then we use the same protocol. And then we study the involvement. So we're being, you know, we, the idea was to use a, the same type of methodology that, that people that develop drugs use the pharmaceutical industry uses to understand what's happening when you're treating people with low-level light therapy. So that's what we're doing and, and he was doing more the clinical research with brain. And then we started publishing together through a contact at our university that we had, but we hadn't met yet. So we published like two or three papers together and then we met at a congress in Las Vegas. He stayed at the, all the, the talks and I, was, I stayed on the strip, I didn't see anything. I was just there for my talk and that's it. <laughs> it was very good. We had very different perceptions of the event. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> so then we met and well, that's the story. I don't know if there is more to that. Yeah, we're gonna send you, you know, if you send us an email, then we send you the, the papers, the presentations and everything else. So these are the results, you know, it works. And apart from that, I don't know if we have, if we have a minute, then I could tell you that we're, we're pro actually promoting this one here in Orlando. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, Dr. Port is gonna be there too. We're gonna have, uh, it's gonna be at the Hyatt Place in Orlando in uh, October now. And we're gonna talk about uh, integrative health therapies. And we're, we already have confirmed, of course, Porter is gonna be there. <laughs> I hope some more of you, maybe, maybe some people could, could, could come and, and, and give a talk for us as well. We already have researchers from uh, France, uh, uh, Spain, Mexico, Portugal, um, Belgium, Italy, Brazil of course, United States and we have a very good friend that is one of the head uh, physical therapists at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. So he's also bringing a bunch of researchers together for this event. Dr. Porter is gonna be there. He's actually gonna teach a course on the use of the brain tap on, on, uh, on Thursday. 
So, I mean, you're all invited and I hope to see you there. There is a little video that uh, talks about the event. Well, thank you very much.